Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Arvath Podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Chris, I'm good. I've been waiting to tell you something. I counted up the episodes. Congratulations on recording episode 200 of No Limits here tonight. Wow, two, 200. That is 200. That's crazy, dude. That's crazy. I was just thinking when I was saying the intro line that I can just say that in my sleep, you know? I've, I've said it 200 <laughs> times now. Probably said it more than that, uh, depending on how, much, how many times we have had to re-record certain things. But um, wow, 200. Congratulations, Mike. Congratulations. Yeah, dude, you too. We have 120 on the Mitch Rap Pod, something like 50, 55 maybe on No Limits, the Thriller Pod, and this feed we're coming at you today the Scott Harvath pod, I believe this is going to be episode 29. So Dead Fall will cover 29, 30, and 31, because one of our next two episodes will be an interview with Brad Thor. Mm, I'm so excited. I got to bring out the good stuff for our, our conversation <laughs> with him that time. I'm, I'm, I yeah. get back. So we're, I'm, we're recording this right before my trip with my kids to the West. We're going to Montana and doing some camping. And I come back, and the day after coming back, I have record with Brad. So it's um, it'll be a good time. I have I have my books. I have a bunch of audiobooks. I have uh, Kyle's last book. I'm gonna definitely crush on my trip across country. So looking forward to that. But man, oh, first let me let, let's give the people a little bit of an update. I just spent three wonderful days with you in near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Did did you have as much? Did you have as much fun as I did? Dude, what a fantastic time! It's unfortunate the golf took over the whole weekend. Well, excuse me, the golf, the cigars, and the bourbon took over the whole weekend. It didn't leave much time for podcasting, but uh, yeah, dude, what a good time. I absolutely love seeing you catching up. If only we, we could have squeezed in a podcast recording, I think that would have pushed it over topped, the top. But That would have topped it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it was awesome. It was great. And Mike, Mike won some money this year, so he didn't leave empty-handed. I want a little bit of money. I made made part of the entry fee back, unlike last year where I walked away with a big fat zero. So <laughs> progress. <laughs> going up, going up. All right. Well, you mentioned it. Today, we are covering Brad Thor, 22, Deadfall. Are you ready? Dude, I'm so ready that I'm just going to give you my limerick right off the bat because I, I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> I, I, Let's I love do it. it. Let's do it. Headed to the front lines on a train. It's Scott and the troll in Ukraine. Deadfall is here, so let's raise a beer to strong stomachs, because shit's going insane. To strong stomachs. I wish I had a glass of wine like the troll did. Was the troll drinking wine on that train? He unpacked a whole lot of snacks. <laughs> yeah, know you know, that. I would love to travel with the troll. I would love to travel with Brad. I'd love yes. to travel with Scott, but I would really like to travel with the troll, because he... No matter where he goes, you can be in the middle of a third world country, the middle of a war-torn country, and he is going to have his con- creature comforts packed in some nice-ass bag somewhere. And, you know, he's just going to whip up like a nice asparagus risotto on the front lines of Ukraine <laughs> with a nice, and pair it, have a perfect wine pairing with it, you know? Sounds like us on the golf trip, just pulling out <laughs> prime rib the first night, you know, some cigars, and you know, 11 p.m., just... Just chill. Had it right there. The sausage sticks that uh, Joe came mm. around with. Perfect. 
Yeah, so I guess we should say that we are covering, we, we have actually only read, because we're, we're a little bit behind, right. it's been a, kind of a crazy summer for the both of us, but, so we have only read up to chapter 16 in the novel, if you're doing the audiobook, that will be chapter 20 on Audible. Uh, it's roughly not quite halfway through the book, right? Yeah. It looks like, I'm it's a short book. This. It's a short book, and I it felt, when I was listening to it, there's no way we were halfway through this one. I think coming off books like Only the Dead recently, which are, you know, like tomes, this one at chapter 16, which is page 160, is where it ends. We're leaving off at physical page 160 in the book. That's pretty much halfway through, and it felt like it just ripped. I almost feel like it could have been the first quarter of the book, the first third of the book, yet we covered, I would say, three or four incredible action set pieces and we met a zillion characters already, many of whom I really, really like. And the fact that all that is packed into 160 pages, which is the first half of this book, I think that's an incredible feat by Brad. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really crisp. You yes. know, when I was looking for the novels on Audible and on Scribed, actually, first, you know, it lists out all the hours of like of of all of his books and like some of them are 16 17 and some of like the other books that you've purchased you know you just went on a spending bonanza on audible and got all of mark greenies <laughs> all of uh, another authors because they were on sale on what that prime day we. was a prime day yep you know and a lot of those are like 16 17 18 hours i was like oh yeah. this one's clocking in at like 11 hours and i noticed like kyle's also you know doing around 11 to 12 hours but this one was going really fast and i you know, even though you told me to stop roughly halfway, I, I was like, wow, how can we be halfway already? Like, I don't, I don't want to finish this. I, I don't want to be halfway. I want it to be a fourth. Right. Definitely, you know, in our discussions, obviously, we're not going to do the scorecard this time, but a lot of cool plot lines. We're sort of like leaving off with having tugged at every single thread. So what I believe will be every single thread so far. We, we're introducing all these characters. I want to see how it connects. I wanted to post something to you. And it's, I think it's something that Scott, sorry, that Brad does a couple times now. Maybe we haven't covered them all yet since we're only like halfway through a series, but the most recent one being The Apostle. And so this is having two storylines that are deeply intermeshed, but yet the characters will never interact. So I'm, I'm going to be intrigued if somehow Brad ever sorry not brad i keep doing that somehow if scott ever interacts we've done that whether it's mitch and vince or brad and scott uh, constantly i do it a lot more with 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 brad and scott but yeah whether or not you know these fbi agents and like the whole russian subplot with them like how is that going to interact with what scott's doing with the russians and so it reminds me of like in the apostle when you had the whole secret service plot line Uncover, un, uncovering something behind the scenes while Scott was over in Afghanistan doing his thing. You know, that, yeah. it, the storylines were intertwined. They were important to each other. Yet, you know, it's only like a Venn diagram. They only like partially touch instead of like yeah. fully intermixing. So do I, you I like that, that style? Yeah, yeah. I think that's incredible insight. I mean, I love your comparison to the Apostle because I was trying to say this could almost come off as a very singular story. Scott's in Ukraine. He's kicking this group, the Raven, you know, where we hear they're called the Ravens. He's kicking their ass and like, that's all we're getting. I'm surprised that I'm really, really, really enjoying 
what sometimes I might criticize as a side plot. I don't see where it's going. Taking this out of the story, yeah. Yeah, and it's almost Brad's formula that there's some cop or investigative agency, and usually they're partners. You got a good cop, bad cop routine going on. They're trying to shake people down, follow leads, and we never quite know how it's going to match up. It, I feel like it happened, like you said, in The Apostle. It happened in The Athena Project. And I feel like it's a really hard thing to pull off, yet I'm so invested in FBI Special Agent uh, Carolyn and his partner Jennifer Fields. I love what they're doing, tracking down the guy who fell out the window, going to the Commodore Yacht Club. That's tied in with conspiracy theories. And like you're saying, tugging on these strings, it's halfway through the book, and I'm really, really craving more on this former senator, Greg Wilson. Yes. Because the way the scene is written with him, he was out with Berman, the guy who fell out the window getting drunk the night before. But Kyle Paulson is like this jackass who thinks he's smarter than everyone, who thinks he's running Senator Wilson, getting him to do his dirty work in Washington and advance his policies. But then at the end of the chapter, and this is so Brad, Greg Wilson is like, I've got them right where I want them. So we think Paulson's in charge pulling the strings, and Wilson is the tool, and Paulson's telling us that he's, you know, he basically uses this guy. But then Wilson. He's masterminding the plan. He's actually manipulating Paulson. Yet we don't know much at all about these two characters. We do get an interesting – I guess we can just jump right into that. We we do get an interesting tidbit, and he mentions his handler will be happy. Now, w- yes. why else would you drop that line if you didn't think – and it makes complete sense, right? If his handlers are the Russians, he's exactly. he wants to have someone who is anti-Ukraine, you know, going to put all their money into stopping the – support in Washington. And so, yeah, I fully, you know, I fully think that Wilson is in the Russian, he's taking the Russian money, whether or not he's full SVR or he's just, he's a plant. He's, you know, he's been turned. We don't know yet, but definitely intrigued by that storyline. Yeah. And there was a mention to further back up your point. There's a mention of Dasher, who is an asset, a high up asset that the intelligence guy, Gretchko, has in his pocket, and he's talking to Biglov, who works for uh, the, the Russian president. president Peshkov, and they're like, I'm surprised you brought up Dasher. You know, it's not something we should be talking about here. Is Greg Wilson Dasher? And, you know, how was he recruited as a former senator? And I think that storyline, I'm absolutely shocked, has my attention and wants me to keep reading. I, I thought this book was going to be solely like the Apostle Scott on the ground, Ukraine. That was going to be, you know, the whole kit and caboodle right there. I'm shocked how much I enjoy the the FBI agent and him looking at the cameraman who's taking pictures for this blog. So there's a disinformation campaign going on. It's connected to a former senator, a lobbyist, uh, Russian intelligence. I think he's really weaving a tapestry that gets at the real fabric of America right now with how manipulated we are. I was just this whole weekend when we were getting drunk spewing conspiracy theories left and right at one point. But um, I know after being with you talking conspiracy theories and then immediately jumping into this book, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is Mike's book, man. This is Mike's book. (laughs) Did you see how one was basically Pizzagate? Oh, yeah. When he (laughs) – He was like, oh, at the Yacht Club, what if, you know, they have children in an underground cell and everyone online is like accusing them of trading, harvesting harvesting organs and 
drinking their blood. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what's going on right now on Twitter. Or I should say X. <laughs> what's that uh, That substance that they claim? Androchrome? Oh, the adrenaline and, and, or something? And, and, andriochrome. And it's, it's something like adrenaline. It's something that, that Q, QAnon people think is yeah. going on. Brad's playing with those people, though. I, yeah, I feel like he's playing oh, with he them. He is. He is. He, and uh, this is another topic I wanted to get into. And maybe it's just because I didn't read his original novels when they actually came out. But is is this the first novel you felt where it's so closely commenting on the moment of the time? Like, you know, obviously, I guess because mm. the stuff was coming out right right around the you know war in Afghanistan and war in Iraq. So I guess it's probably the same, but... This one just feels like because the still war is still going on, and we're being beaten over the head. I felt like, what was the coverage like? Can you remember what, what was the coverage like of the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq? I mean, what do you mean the coverage? I feel like the the media has, well, if it bleeds, it leads, right? So I don't know. Well, the, the internet just, play and social media is playing a totally different role. Yeah, no, you're right. In, I would I would say less on the coverage of of the conflict but more on people's easily persuaded or manipulatable manipulative handling of that information like it's not certain media outlets are co- covering things differently i think they're still like reporting what's going on but i think the difference is how easily unreliable sources can spread messages where i feel like in both gulf wars and everything we were getting the mainstream media and that was our primary source of information. Right. And now our primary source of information is headlines and TikToks and whatever, X, which is unreliable. Threads, so yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Right. And even the mainstream media sources are probably more unreliable now because like you said, if it bleeds They're being loose, influenced so, as well as, you know. Yeah. I, I feel like that was an era where we could trust the media a little bit more or, you know, the nightly news shows, right? The hourlies, uh, you know, I feel like we're so much more reliable and now we just have this deluge of information. And all that was really making me nervous for this book. Like you were saying, it's so topical. I wouldn't say it's the first book to do that, but I would say it's unique in that it's so recent. Kind of like how we felt with Chris Howdy covering January 6th. Right. You know, obviously a lot of books in 2001, 2, and 3 were about September 11th, but this is like, it's happening now and it's almost a one-to-one of what's going on and we drop a fictional character into it i feel like it's a little different than how all of the al-qaeda books and then taliban books and then isis books handled it it was easier to drop figures and stories i think into that reality we're dropping it into this. this reality is like a whole different political politically and socially charged thing yeah, I guess you, you hit the nail on the head, and I think like that comes to say, do you, do you feel like this is a commentary from Brad on his stance of the war? I mean, of of course it is, and I I just I was he's never been one to pull his punches. He always speaks his opinion. Right. I just was I guess I wasn't expecting this maybe him to come down on this side, you know, like to have Scott be you know, so pro Ukraine, but you know, not that I, I, I object. Like I, I, I agree with, you know, everything that Scott is, is, is saying. So. Well, I think timing there also, right? Because the book would have been written 
a year ago from now, sure. essentially, right? Sure. Yeah, and yeah. I think perceptions have greatly changed. Like the troll gives statistics, right? 76% of Americans support, you know, some sort of or, – or against the, the Russian invasion. And Scott's like, wow, that's amazing. You get 75% of Americans to agree on something. But it's slowly eroding. Like, but it's slowly eroding. It's yeah. slowly eroding. And the troll even cites like, well, new information of people who are against us sending so much money and weapons doubled, you know, from 12% to 24%. So I feel like this was still on an early era before people – we're seriously questioning the amount of resources and the amount of material being sent to the front lines. I feel like it was it, this must have been written right before that kind of switch when it became a political point. And like we just said, due to social media and unreliable sources and whipping up hysteria. Now the debate is if you support the Ukrainian side, you're just labeled, you know, uh, a left-wing liberal who wants to give away all our money and tax dollars and not help Americans. And the opposite is true. Like, if you say you're against sending money and weapons because you don't want to start the next Afghanistan, you know, you don't want to be bogged down in the next Iraq or something, if you're against that, well, you're just a right-wing conspiracy theorist who doesn't want to help the cause of freedom and, and NATO and you're a Russia lover. I, like, we, we can have a middle ground here. Yeah, I think I, I like how this book, you know, it's almost like a a snapshot in time to focus in on how everyone felt during that time. The early, and like days, yeah. the early days and then to, to read it now, like a year post, you know, that's mm -hmm. why I'm like sort of thinking about it this way, you know, like yeah, to look back on where, what it was like, you know? So I don't know. Anyways, we don't have to go much further into that, but yeah. No, no. But think about the nine 11 connections. Cause the same thing happened, right? A lot of books in those early years were very jingoistic. And I would say some of them borderline stereotyped a lot of the sure. the Muslims in their books, right? And then over time, I think they became more nuanced. And I think they were willing to address the impacts on communities and individuals not related to the extremists. But if you look at the first few novels, I'm sure at the very early, you know, 2003 Iraq and everything, I think we were probably very much gung-ho get the terrorists, hunt them down, almost like Brad has written, all Muslims are bad or whatever, you're either a good Muslim or a bad Muslim, type of lines were written early in the 2000s, where if you read an ISIS book by Kyle Mills or something like The Last Man by Vince Flynn, it was a lot more nuanced, nuanced. on the yeah, ground yeah. of who was involved, who was turned, who was the bad guy. It wasn't just everybody over there is the bad guy. So I feel Even like- Even later stage Brad. Even later stage Brad. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, we're, we're seeing this evolve in real time. And like these books exist as a snapshot of someone's thinking at the time. And then, you know, we've, yeah. we've covered both Vince and Brad through 9-11 and on, in, like you said, to ISIS. And now we're pivoting to, obviously the last book was commentary on, on China and the rise of in, you know, influence in, in India. I don't know. I just, I, I've really liked, and like, we haven't even said, like, do I like this book? I, I really like this book. I, I'm, yeah. I'm digging it. And um, I liked, just like I liked um, In the Blood, not In the Blood. I liked In the Blood too, but um, Rising Tiger. Rising Tiger. Yeah. So, I'm actually pleasantly surprised by this one. And, and again, I don't want to go on and on about the, the, the perceptions and politics of it all, but I was hesitant. I don't know if you remember me saying, 
It might have been on the main feed. It might have been on a patron-only special. But I did say I'm a little nervous for this one. Partially, is it too soon? Also, we're all being inundated with the Ukrainian conflict. And it became politically charged. So I'm just like, now you got to walk on eggshells with some of this stuff. And Brad, don't walk on eggshells. So I was just wondering, is this... Is this setting things up to be a controversial book for the series? You know, like you take what happened in the Vince in the Vince Flynn uh, Kyle Mill series, and like Enemy at the Gates really tore the fans apart, right? It, it caused this rupture. Sure, I, I, we won't spoil it in case someone hasn't read Mitch Rap, but a main character. Did you like that he died, or did you not? Did you like that he was on one side, or he was not? It really caused this rift, and I'm just wondering. Touching something like the Ukraine conflict, not when it first started, but where we are now in July of 2023, touching that could be a really, really – it could be a landmine. And I was hesitant about that. I was also just hesitant of do I want a one-off? Do I want a novel that puts Scott in a random conflict just so we can see what he does as opposed to developing the storylines, you know, keeping the series going, building on what we had in Black Ice – you know, the Arctic waters, the Russian navigation, the Chinese, and then Rising Tiger, the Belt and Road Initiative, the Chinese trying to expand their influence in the uh, South Asia and the Pacific. And I'm like, I want these threads to build on one another. If you're just going to all of a sudden go to Ukraine just because, I was nervous it was going to interrupt the flow, you know, of the series. Not at all. Not at all. I am pleasantly surprised with how much I'm enjoying Scott on the ground in Ukraine. We're going to get to the setting eventually. I I was wondering if it's just like too much for me. I've heard about this war. I followed it for over a year now. It's like too much. Not at all. I not at all. I'm enjoying every moment of the descriptions of the cabin, the trains taking you to the front lines, the armored convoy, and then this. We'll get to this action scene, which ended chapter sixteen. Perhaps the longest, most drawn out action scene we've read in a while this battle around buildings in an urban landscape. It almost felt like a guerrilla warfare with guys flanking each other. Scott has to double back on himself, draw a trap, set explosives, all in you know this urban environment with snipers on the rooftops. It was like, is this Fallujah? So it was almost refreshing in that it wasn't something I was bored of, as I wasn't expecting to like. Oh, a battlefront in Ukraine. Okay, great. I've been reading so much about that. But it's offering this fresh, really unique perspective to read it as fiction. And doing that is a really fun experience. So this book so far is soaring above my expectations. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, like you said, it had – it almost had this weird – I was just being reminded of various – when I was reading the action scene, I was re- reminded of various things that I liked. You know, I think of – you can go back to World War II and like the Band of Brothers sequence or Saving yes. Private Ryan. You know, we're talking about sniper warfare. So like what Enemy at the Gates or yes. uh, American Sniper, you know, you, you have you have a, a pretty intense scene that that might be in Volusia. Um, you have uh, what what else? Oh, Black Hawk Down. You know, I was thinking like thinking of that, like all the, the, these, you know, seminal artwork that have depicted these sort of invasion or you know rescue scenes in a, in a bombed out village he he hit the nail on the head he just the description was perfect and i, I felt like i was watching it or, or like visualizing it you know Im- immediately yeah and i think 
being able to experience it this way, it's, it's a different way of like thinking about what's going on, you know, yeah. while being thoughtful yet in enjoying it, you know, like not, not, and not feeling like guilty that I'm enjoying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I'm pleasantly surprised that I am enjoying it and that part of it. Cause I, I wasn't sure how I was going to react to it. Yep. Yep. So what do you think? We, we talked a little bit about some scenes. Do you want to get into a little bit more nitty gritty? Like, I want to ask you, what was your favorite action scene so far? Because we get the opening set piece, Operation Boathouse, the hit on yeah, the convoy. That was interesting. Yeah. Where Stalin comes out with the RPG. Scott's boys, you know, blow up this Iranian. I guess he was a colonel or something selling drones and missiles to to the Russians. But then and I'm like, OK, well, that's a really great action piece. Then we get the hit on the train. That was bananas with the train. And then the cabin in the woods is another great shootout. And finally, this convoy in the middle of Kharkiv when he gets there in the city. What did you like the most out of all those? Ooh, that's tough. Um, you know, the opening scene is cool. It kind of like sets the stage. It reminds me of, uh, you know, when we first meet Mitrap in uh, Transfer of Power. Like that That sort of had, – had that sort of vibe. Like, all right – being placed in this, in a desert, you know, it, where are they? They're actually in Belarus, right? Belarus. In Belarus. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But undercover you know, because we can't undercover. be blowing up Iranians and Russians in Belarus. Right. And, you know, like I, I knew full well that the mission was, or at least I, I suspected the mission was, you know, it, it, it was going to happen without a breeze and then we were going to move on. You know, that was cool. I think it's a tie between the train or the, the end scene, the con, like the attack on the convoy. I think I'd, I'd have to lean more attack on the convoy just because it's it's more drawn out. But the train sequence, it's so fast. Like, yes, it, you know, we're first Nicholas and Harvath are on this train. They come to Nicholas's departure point. Two other people come on. They're going to be his guides. Get him to his team on the front lines. Meet him with his other GRU 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 chick. And then we're going along, you know, throughout that entire thing, we're getting description of the land and of life and how like during war, like time goes on. So like I enjoyed it, like the built up to the scene and then boom, as soon as we, the train stops, you know, like, uh oh, it's like, it's like in a horror movie, like oh, something, yeah. something's going to happen. And then he tell, like he tells him to put on the helmet and he's like, I don't want to wear the helmet. But then as soon as the guy steps out, boom, gets shot by a sniper. Like, it's it's just, yeah. all right, this is where we're going. We're going full steam ahead. And then, boom, the mortars start going. And Scott just immediately has to keep keep moving, keep his head in the fight. Like, both him and Jack have their main character. Both Brad and Jack have their main characters, like, say those words. Like, whether like it's like, keep your head in the fight or, or you got to, you know, keep moving. Force of action, you know, like, keep. You can't stay still. Get off just, the X. Get off the X. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It was just that scene was so propulsive. You know, and then he's, he's fighting. The You know, he gets the drop on the sniper at the end. Um, that was cool, too. It was really cool. My favorite tidbit and why the train scene is pushed to the top of that list is when he takes the fire extinguisher and he explodes the fire extinguisher just to give himself a little bit of cover, a little bit of haze Smoke. for the snipers yeah. not to be able to pinpoint him through the train windows. I I loved every minute of that. And then when he jumps off and finds, I think Kozar was his Ukrainian his handlers, escort. Yeah. 
He's like, why the hell don't you have your tourniquet on? He gave it to the woman who he saved also in this ditch. Put the tourniquet on her. These two are dying out. I feel like those two, plus later on in the, I'm calling it the guerrilla warfare scene in the in the armored convoys, he loses that young kid, Ole. Yeah. And he's like, that was, this young that was kid shouldn't intense. even be here. He's not a soldier. He can't shoot. And... I just think it shows the human toll and also the way he's describing the countryside and the villagers. One of the guys he's and it's funny, the troll is joking with him. He's like, my wife took the dogs. I miss my dogs. So he's really happy to see the Ovcharkas. It's like, my wife took my, my teenage daughter and the dogs and they're living with her family in another country. They had to flee. He's like, oh, do you miss them? And the guy's like, what, my my teenage daughter or the dogs and the trolls like, no, the in-laws <laughs> and then, <laughs> and they're having a laugh over it. I just think it shows the human impact on, on the everyday people in Ukraine. And I wasn't expecting to be so bought into that because I hear about it in the news. Why would I need my fictional characters to be going through these same struggles? But I'm, I'm really enjoying it because it's a different way for my brain to take in that information, a different way for me to interact with it knowing these stories are fictional yet they're real it's just right. a i wasn't expecting to like that and i really do All right yeah what did you think of the cabin in the woods sequence we got this we got this fake zara and the real zara don't get much out of the out of the two of them other than you know scott immediately knows something's up because he's amazing at picking up those micro expressions brad exactly. loves to put that uh that phrase in there it's a thorism definitely that to me had I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or are on the pot already, but just, you know, vibes of Inglorious Bastards that the scene yes, where they're, the they're scene. in, where they're in the, in the, like that they, the, the one, what is it? Michael Fassbender like slips up, right? You know, yeah. it's like, you know, how, how do you act like a spy and, and fully blend in? And then he's able to, you know, fight his way out of that. The guy's like in the roof, he's shooting at the roof and then the mothballs. I had no idea that mothballs sublimate. That was and, wild. And the gas are super, um, flammable flammable like that that was pretty cool so yeah i i felt like that one for me didn't hit as hard as the fire extinguisher <laughs> that was almost let's do some really cool creative stuff just to jazz this up a little bit but it was cool the overall the cabin scene was great i think my favorite thing was scott picking up on zara zira the undercover russian chick right knowing she was fake i, I that might have been my favorite part of the whole thing was that deception and then yeah he has to kill, I think it's three different people as they're trying to escape out a window. Oh, and then the guy like comes through the fire, like, like Burning fire. Man, walking out of the fire, and he's coming towards them with a knife. And Scott just pops him in like the head and the knees or something. I, I, I was curious about that one because I'm like, I think Brad's trying to show you how this war is being fought. Because in my mind, I'm like, that guy's an idiot. I knew he was getting out of the fire. And he knew Scott was armed and will kill him. But that didn't stop him, right? It wasn't like, I'm going to stop, drop, and roll over here because I'm on fire. And it wasn't like, oh, I have no gun, so I probably shouldn't pursue this guy. No. I think Brad wrote that intentionally, that that guy was focused on coming after Scott with a knife while he was burning to show just the Russian desperation. The right. way the war is being fought. No matter what you have, you're out of supplies. You have rundown junk. You, your first six waves of soldiers who were actually trained died. 
And now you have guys, they literally say, turning on one another. And it's like, if you retreat, you're going to have a more painful death than if you just died in the fight and that you want to martyr yourself. It's almost like a different form of extremism, the way Scott describes the Russian motivations to fight this war. It's kind of, it's actually a sadder one, I would say, than people who are just straight up manipulated by zealots and who martyr themselves for a cause. This one's almost sad because it's almost like you have to martyr yourself because you have no other choice because life is so bad. You don't even right. believe in anything. And I think that guy walking out of the cabin on fire, knowing he was beat, knowing he was unmatched, he was mismatched. I think Brad was trying to say something with that. I don't know why it stuck with me. Mm, that is interesting. Yeah, you know, it's it's like a little bit you realize that they have no other choice because, mm-hmm. like you said, if they if they fail, like they know that failure is often worse than you know what's worse than death. You know, like but you know torture, not dishonor. being able to dishonor, you know, dishonor to your family, like whatever they would do to your family. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's crazy. You know, it's kind of a side note. You know what else? surprisingly I was okay with and I wasn't sure if I was going to buy this at first I was like why is Scott even here in the first place (laughs) and second why is he going solo through the countryside hunting down these ravens which we haven't really even gone back to Anna Royko who's the aid worker who gets taken in the prologue we gotta gotta talk about that And, and so I'm kind of excited that another little little thing brad did to wet my beak was we built up the ravens this team of these psychotic murderers let out of mental asylums to go ravage the countryside yeah we haven't seen that happening you know in 160 pages so anyway i'm I'm kind of excited for that but my question is why is scott just running through the country on his own like chasing guys down but when the troll explains basically plausible deniability right if we gave you Stalin and the other guys and we fully kitted you out and you went in and everyone knows you work for the Carlton Group, basically because the Chinese hacked OPM, Office of Personnel Management of the U.S. government, the Chinese would tell the Russians, you know, this team, if discovered, is an American group of operators under the Carlton Group. You wouldn't have plausible deniability. It would look like the U.S. government is sending soldiers and it's an act of war. But if it's one rogue soldier... You know, they can deny that. The U.S. government can say we have no involvement. This was a trained individual who decided to go. There were no orders given. So I I bought that, like hook, line, and sinker. Right. Yeah, me too. But another reason for that is because it happened, right? Like a bunch of guys, there was one I was following on social media, just kitted up and went. They just flew in. They went to Poland. They found some way across the border or, or went wherever. And they took the oath. And I think it was so cool to watch this Ukrainian guy administer the oath to Scott saying, you know, you got to follow the Geneva Conventions. You're coming here under no you know, pressure from your government or our government to do this. It's totally your choice. And I, I think that's what really is happening with a lot of our guys, with a lot of American citizens, you know, British, Canadian, French, whatever. I think that was happening. And so it was really cool. I bought that Scott would be one of those guys. Yet yeah. he would have the network of the trolls' intelligence, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I I wasn't sure if I was going to question that, but the way it was delivered, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Buy in, big score so far. So big score and buy in so far. And I was nervous about it. I will be honest. I was nervous. 
All right, so we we kind of touched on the convoy thing, but is there anything else you wanted to to cover with that? No, I think I think my favorite part was his relationship with what I'll consider this young boy, young man right. fighting for Ukraine, Ole. And the other one is his description of just what the soldiers are doing as the convoy's going. Right. They like yeah, reading books. He he wish he had a book. They brought magazines. Wish he had a book and a little he shout out. He mentions Connor Sullivan. Connor Sullivan. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf Trap. Trap. One of the guys was reading Wolf Trap. So I thought that was a really good shout out uh, right there. It's usually Jack Carr, you know. Jack and Brad, I feel like, have, have done that for each other. So he wanted to find somebody different. So I, I like that part of it. Again, I think that scene for all the badassery of the snipers and shootouts and turning around corners and abandoned, build, abandoned buildings. My favorite part might have been the human element in that fight. And my second favorite part was adjusting tactics. We are back to, like you said, the Apostle days. Or I'll go back to Mitch Rapp, you know, seeing him in the Middle East. We are watching Scott do literally what he does best. Fight a war and direct guys and use his tools to outthink your opponent. Not beat your opponent physically, but to outthink them. The way he rigs part of their convoy to explode. He knows the convoy is a sitting duck. So he takes all their grenades, all their explosives, leaves them behind but rigs them as a trap. And it seems like they're not going to attack the convoy. So they're going through the town. They get the guys to flank them. And he realizes he can distract a group of them because the Russians split up. One's going after the main group of guys. Another one is flanking. He distracts the guys who are flanking. And it kind of doubles back almost and gets them and he's, and, and the, the trap is set. So initially they weren't going to fall into his trap. He kind of just left it. Then he realized, wait, this other group broke off. I can direct them. I can then save uh, the main team from being hit from the side. So I just really think that was seeing Scott do what Scott does best, which is outthink your opponents on the battlefield. I also appreciated his commentary on like, the status of like the Ukrainian weaponry, as well as the yep. status of like what you know the the spoils of war are. Yeah, you know, but he's riding in this con in this truck that has a has a gunner, but the gunner's like protection is missing. And he goes through like, all right, well, it could be because of this. You know, it could be because it it had to yep. get used somewhere else. It could be because it got stripped down for parts. It could be for you know enormous dumb reasons, but it is yep. what it is, and that's what they do. You know the type of gun that they use. The, the Ole is like it, that gun. Literally, could be the first gun that the Mujahideen stole from, uh, right? Even from the Russians, like back in the day. Like it, that's how old this gun looked. Could, felt like yeah. it came out of a out of a museum. Yeah, you know, it's the little details that Brad is putting in this, the beginning part of this novel that I think is really selling it for me. Um, the descriptions of the setting, description of the people, like you said, the human element of it that I'm really, really buying, really digging. So, And of course, the Rumsfeld quote had to come up. You go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. I mean, perfect time to use that, that, that quote that's been recycled a million times in these books. Yeah, so the last real piece we need to talk about, and you kind of mentioned them, but you know, we, we did a whole breakdown of the prologue during our first, um, when, when it dropped on the, the audiobook dropped. Uh, but there's this Anna Royko character. And again, the human element in exchange, people going over there to be aid workers. She gets kidnapped by these ravens. And so the ravens are the tagline of the, the novel. Like 
on Amazon. You know, it's like they, they're, they're right. mentioned. They're, they're going to play a big part. We're 160 pages in. I, I can tell you that I did read a little bit past this. So I know that the, the very next chapter or like the, not the next chapter, the, the next chapter after that is a large deep dive on the kernel that we get. So we're, we're, we're about to jump into that soon, but. We've only really had one scene. We we understand that these guys are, are crazy and then that they're trying to capture treasures. Uh, they have a boatload of art. Man, re- re- listening back to that prologue was, was super creepy. You know, like just these guys that are coming through, they're howling, they're painted like their face are white skulls. Um, they're ravaging, trying to find, trying to get searching for their next high while also, you know, raping, pillaging, you know, harkens back to like some game of thrones shit you know yeah real intense so i'm, I'm intrigued to see where the raven storyline goes obviously yeah scott is directly headed on a collision course with the colonel that's no lie that's where we're going to end up either he's going to save anaroika or you know avenge her i love how he says the best thing i can do for ole is to kill every single last one of these russian fucks yeah and I think multiple people say, like, I don't know what you're here for, but if you're here to kill Russians, like, I, I'm okay yeah. with that. Like, I'm, I support that. Uh, Scott, you know. Scott at one point was like, is that a common greeting to say goodbye here? Kill as many of them as you can. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like these little these little one-liners that he's putting in here. They're, they're, they're cool. So. Of course. That's a Thorism right there. The one-line quips, absolutely, as Brad Thor's wheelhouse. Definitely, definitely. You're right, though, because... You told me that scene is coming next where we go back to the Ravens. We really get into what they're doing in the ravaging the countryside. And part of me, when we decided to pause halfway after chapter 16, I was like, that's just what I want. Like Brad is hitting all of the beats. Every time I want more of something, boom, that comes right out. It comes right out. Think of some books where we said we didn't get enough of the main character. You know, and we we had to spend too long in the introduction before we saw them really, you know, kicking ass and taking names. Well, I feel like we've gotten all of that right up front. I've had so many fun adventures with Scott. We've seen him do, do so many cool things. I got that out of the way. And now I'm like, okay, what about that prologue? Let's go back to it. And boom, chapter 17 is going to be that. We're going to get right into it. And right when I want to know a little bit more about not to bring it up again, but it's a part of the book I'm really enjoying, the FBI, the special agent, his partner, and their thing. You know, we get a little snippet of what they're doing, and they're going to track down the guy now who was taking pictures of them for this public truth blog. It's like every little thing is coming when I want it, as I want it. The pacing on this book so far has been extraordinary. Had some questions about that in Black Ice. Uh, even Near Dark had a lot, a lot of issues with pacing and action set pieces. I think Rising Tiger, some people had an issue with, is this even a Scott book? Is he even the main character here? Is, is he the protagonist? Deadfall is almost overcoming all of those, I don't want to call them negatives, but any of those drawbacks that we pulled out of the last few books, Deadfall is moving so far away from them and just satisfying on all levels. Yeah. Definitely. So. Yeah, so I guess we can just finish up with uh, what what do you expect or what do you want to see the most out of the second half of this novel? We know these authors are amazing at it. I want to see the stories connect. I really want to know 
what this Russian intelligence officer with an asset they have called Dasher, what op are they running? What, what kind of psyops and manipulation of the American public to erode our support of this, the Ukrainian resistance? How are they operating? And if they've got this Wilson in their pocket and they're playing this Paulson guy, I want to see how that dynamic works because I think it's super cool. I want to know how what the FBI agents are doing will both stop that from happening on the home front, but also give some intel to Harveth on the front lines. So I think I want to see this connection between what the American public is doing, what the FBI is doing, somehow supporting the actions on the front line and saving lives like Anna Royko. I, I think once all that starts clicking, this is going to be an incredible bit of storytelling. What are you looking forward to? Yeah, no, I'm all those things. I'm also weirdly looking forward to see like the troll in action. You know, we got that brief little like someone's watching him in wherever he is. He's not, is he in, he's, he's, he's in the capital, right? He's in Kiev. I got to imagine he's near Kiev. Yeah. Cause he didn't take the train all the way to Kharkiv. Oh yeah. He got off. So yeah, I, I love seeing the troll in action in the last novel. So I'm intrigued for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to see, you know, we get this kind of mention of, it's funny, like, I feel like, you know, you think back to Transfer of Power, and it was like a trope of Mitch Rapp since the very beginning, but, you know, Brad wants to get out, you know, like what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Scott, Mitch Salty. wanted to get out, now he wants to get out even more, you know, and then, what's this whole dynamic between him and Lawler, and him and the Carlton group, you know, I feel like yeah. there's some animosity because he decided not to take over, Right. Like what what's up with that? I, you know, my my questions maybe aren't going to get answered in this novel, but yeah, you know, you took all my things, so I had to say something different. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this: We've been saying almost from the beginning. Does Brad or does Scott have a whim, a woman problem? Like he was sold to us as the Norseman, this womanizer, and then for a while in early Brad, it was I want to have kids, I want to settle down, I want to have a family, and then he went through what he went through with Lara and that boy, and I'm just like. And now Solvi is kind of this nice, happy medium of we can kick her to the side because she's also she's an, an intelligence, intelligence officer. officer. Yeah, she works for Norwegian intelligence, so she gets every mission he has to go on. Is that a is that the easy way out? You know, is that a a device that is a little too easy to rely on, or is it good that it frees up the character to operate? I don't know where I feel on that. Same with the troll. I was really looking forward to the impact of the last book on his uh, his marriage and basically him becoming a father. And we get here. Scott's going to be the godfather that they're going to have a christening uh, soon. So I'm like, I, I maybe am lacking a little bit of that. So thinking back, maybe that's one beat that hasn't hit yet for me now that I think about it. But I'm not sure I want it yet. I want it. I just don't know if this book being so crisp and tight is the time and place to have him wallow in missing Salvi. Uh, you know, Salvi. No, this is not the time for that. Or this is not the time for the troll to want to talk about the birth of his child. I'm just like, do we want that? Can we delay it even more? Is it cheap to delay it? I'm, I'm not sure where I fall on that. Yeah, I think he's doing a good job of like giving us a little bit of the beats you know, to connect the books, but while focusing mainly on this, you know, this plot in, in the plot in hand. So, and that's why I was nervous of this book being a one-off. It doesn't feel that way, but I'm, I, 
is it in some way because of we're missing that stuff? I don't know. Yeah, or is Rising Tiger the one-off, and we're now just continuing the Russian story beat? Yeah. So, boom, we got a lot. We got a lot to yet to cover. Now VJ is going to show up and help Scott on the front lines kick ass. VJ and Asha, they're just going to show up out of nowhere <laughs> and save Anna Royko. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So next time we'll be coming to you with the second half of Deadfall. After that, we'll give you a interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Brad Thor. Please say subscribe to both our channels, all three of our channels. We just dropped a long overdue Mitrat Pod update. Yes. Go check that out. Code Red is coming. Code Red is coming. Over on the Thriller Podcast, what did we cover recently? Oh, um, All the Sinners Bleed. We did Chris Howdy. We have a couple more things we're going to be covering soon. So I think our next book over there might be Lethal Range with Ryan Steck. Yeah. But that feels far away simply because we've got Code Red. And before Code Red, we said we want to try to read Fade. Right. To give a tribute to Kyle. So we got a lot going on in Mitch Rapp and Scott Harveth for the time being. Yep, yep. All right, we need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Ben, Matt, Don, Peggy, Ray, Bridget, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, to a strong stomach. Or what's that other thing that they say? The um, It's like the Ukrainian word for bread. Oh, that was that was a neat touch. How that's like a code word because Russians can't pronounce it properly. You ask it like a question. Yep. And then they respond to you and you know that if they can pronounce it right, then they're, they're actually Ukrainian. And then in the way back at the end, you say it again just to, just to verify. Yep.